with Janice Peter Thompson today. Good morning, Janice. Uh, good morning. How was your Thanksgiving? It was nice. It was nice. Yeah. Just uh, me and my daughter and her significant other. Very nice. Yeah, I had my and my cousins, and it was nice and relaxing. A lot of good food and great company. So I always love Thanksgiving because it's really about conversation, friends, family, and food. My yeah. favorite things. Yeah. Did, huh. did you eat too much like I did? No, I did not, actually. And so no. I came home and I ate more. <laughs> <laughs> and so then this morning, of course, I you know, got my favorite piece, which is the turkey wing, and I ate, you know, a chunk of that for breakfast. And I'm looking forward to lunch today. Yeah. More leftovers. Yeah. So, I had this bad this morning also. I had pumpkin bread pudding for breakfast. Well, my daughter made a because the lemons aren't ripe, um, they're they're ripe any late, and so we didn't have any lemons. So she decided to make a grapefruit, like a lemon meringue pie, but grapefruit, and it was actually pretty darn good. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. So she was she was experimenting on this, and we all liked it. Yeah. So, yeah. So right. here we are. Um, on the uh, biggest shopping day of the year. Yes. The traffic. Online this morning to buy anything? Oh no, no, no! I don't. I don't participate. You did. Good. Oh my god. Yeah. Have you well, been out? Of, have you been out of the house yet today? No, I just went. Out, no, I haven't well, been out of the house. Traffic. Well, I walked out on the deck to check out the yeah. weather. The traffic yeah. out there is crazy, you know, because I have to come past. I have to come down the boulevard past the uh, outlets. Right. And, oh, uh, right. Yeah. What a line yeah. of cars there. Oh, I bet it was, I think it could have been about an eighth of a mile long, sometimes getting into the factory outlet the day after Thanksgiving. Yeah. seen that before. No, I'm not getting out of the house. And we're having actually our tree trim today, our last remaining huge, monstrous redwood tree. We're having it thinned. And so hopefully that'll be the last time you have to do it for another 10 years. Good. Yeah, so it's always good to get things done. Yeah. Yes, indeed it is. So um, do we have anything pressing that we need to uh, announce before we introduce our guest? I don't think so, except the city of Petaluma is working toward redistricting. I think at Monday night's council meeting, there will be more discussion on redistricting, and if people want to get on to... The city's website, I'm not sure what the link is, but you can go ahead and actually draw your own lines for redistricting. So I'm hoping the public, you know, gets involved with that because it's it's very interesting. And, you know, our guest today is part of the redistricting of the state. And then, you know, so this kind of all ties into what we'll talk about today. Well, let's bring him on. Okay. All right. So today we have Pedro Toledo with us. He is Chief Administrative Officer of Petaluma Health Center. Uh, He is President of the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce of Sonoma County, and he's a member of California's 2020 Citizens Redistricting Commission. Good morning, Commissioner. (laughs) (laughs) It's so strange to be called Commissioner, I guess. I know. I know. How How was your holiday? It was great. I, I spent it with family here in Petaluma and friends, and you know we ate a lot of turkey and um, and other peanuts pie. Yeah, and uh, it was it was great. It was absolutely fabulous. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think we had more pie at our table than we did food. Um, I kind of, I was in charge of pies, and I kind of overdid it because I couldn't decide what I wanted. So I got one of everything. Variety is nice. <laughs> so, um, you, first and foremost, you're uh, here locally in charge of Petaluma Health Center. Uh, how long have you been on the, uh, the board there? So I've been uh, the Chief Administrative Officer for the Petaluma Health Center since 2014. So I joined in 2014, so that's about uh, eight years almost. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, we've gone through a lot of changes. We've, at that point, we're seeing about 25,000 people. We're almost at 40,000 people annually, 230,000 visits. Uh, you know, we, we've doubled in size, added, um, we're now um, serving not just Petaluma, Roner Park, but also um, uh, West Marin out in Puerto Reyes. And, um, and just, uh, it's been a, a great uh, a great way to expand access to healthcare. Petaluma Health Center is such a gem. Uh, the uh, doctors and, and nurse practitioners, PAs, uh, nurses just do a great job of, of um, serving the community and, and providing health care access for those, especially those who, who don't have access. And, um, and um, if we are able to represent some of the best and brightest doctors in the country, which is so um, unusual for a community health center, but it's because we qualify for um, National Service Course Program, which is... Um, a federal program that allows us to, to recruit some of the um, top primary care doctors in the nation. Uh, and uh, we're one of the only facilities in the North Bay that qualifies because of our location. And because we also serve Werner Park, which is a, um, a medical desert for so long mm -hmm. that um, we're one of the most underserved areas in, in the North Bay. And so we've been able to leverage that program, help our Physicians get loaner payment assistance and uh, expand access to health care um, significantly. I think, uh, think uh, the goal is that everyone have a patient-centered health home, a place to get a trusted place to get primary care, uh, um, that they get their preventive services so that we can improve the health quality of, and health status of everyone in the community. Pedro, this, you don't have to be low-income to, to be a patient, correct? No, you don't have to be low income. Absolutely not. We do accept um, all insurance, um, uh, and in Point Reyes, we actually serve we actually serve the Kaiser population as well. So mm -hmm. we are the Kaiser provider out in Point Reyes. We serve all private insurance, and we serve the Medi-Cal, Medicare, and um, an uninsured population. So we absolutely serve everyone in Point Reyes. Here in Petaluma and Runner Park, we um, we take all public insurance, private insurance, except for Kaiser. So go back to the West County, and you have a relationship with Kaiser to see Kaiser patients, but yet through the healthcare district. So how does that work? So um, out in, um, in, in Point Reyes in, in West Marin, uh, we, uh, we serve all patients, so we provide access to all patients, including Kaiser. We have a contract with Kaiser to be um, essentially, our doctors are Kaiser doctors out there, so we they're uh, they're affiliated with Kaiser. They have privileges with Kaiser. We bill through Kaiser. We are on the Kaiser electronic health record, and um, and our medical director sits on the um, medical director's meetings with Kaiser. So we're essentially uh, like a little office for Kaiser. 
question, did they approach you or did you approach them? And how, how did that relationship come together? It's actually a long relationship. It's been in place before we took over the LaPointe Reyes Clinic. Uh, I want to say it's been in place for about 20 years now. Uh, and it's, um, uh, and Kaiser just, I believe, recognized the need to ensure that all of their patients in, in, in Point Reyes area have um, a place to go when they need um, when they need care, as opposed to having to travel all the way to San Rafael and Nevada or Pendleton mm-hmm. for care. Wow, I didn't know that, and um, it sounds like a great relationship for it's, the patient and for the clinic. It's, it is. I think there are some challenges, and some of the challenges, of course, are so there's always challenges and benefits. Some of the challenges are that we, we're on two electronic health records. We have to input the information into Kaiser's record and ours. So it's a little bit more administrative work, but um, but in terms of access, it's critical, especially in a rural community um, that um, that is aging um, quite rapidly and uh, that's uh, evolving. So, um, so we're, we're actually... There's a lot of learnings out in West uh, Marin just be, that we'll be able to bring to Petaluma and to Werner Park because that community is a little bit further on and along with the graying um, of the population. And uh, we, at this point, it's about a third of our patients that are over the age of uh, 60. Um, in Petaluma, it's about 15%, so we're not quite... But over the next decade, we probably will get closer to that. And so... Um, uh, we're just uh, experimenting with ways, better ways to improve the health of our uh, of our older populations um, through the use of geriatric uh, providers. Um, you know, just the model of care just has to be different because the, uh, that population tends to be a little bit sicker than the general population. I'm, I'm um, connected with UCSF, <laughs> and then I'm connected with Sutter, and then with Providence. Mm-hmm. And what I find is with UCSF and with Stanford, UCSF actually talks with Stanford through their computers. Mm-hmm. And Providence just changed their computer system, and they do not interface. Mm-hmm. And it seems to be at least something that I've recognized a real problem when you have multiple doctors and they are connected to different facilities and getting that information. It's getting better, but there's still a roadblock. That's, that's absolutely correct, and that's something we're working towards, too. Um, we also are looking and exploring at, um, at changing our electronic health records, so we can talk to we, we, Our goal is to be able to talk to Kaiser, Sutter, St. Joseph's, UCSF, because those are our partners uh, mm-hmm. in the area. And so, um, and of course, any other community health, all of our other sister community clinics. And so, um, we're exploring the, um, the move to uh, the system's called EPIC. And it's the system that uh, most um, most uh, hospitals are on at this point. Providence just shifted um, back in earlier this month, um, and so we're we're in that journey. We're planning for that so that uh, so that we can have um, better communication with our hospital systems and uh, other primary care providers in the lab. I mean, pretty much most of healthcare has shifted to Epic, and mm-hmm. um, and so that's um, the important thing is to be able to communicate with all of the partners, and that's uh, that would include um, UCSF and Stanford and um, um, Sutter, St. Joseph's, 
And, and so there is a way to do that. It just takes time. Because right. you have to build all those interfaces and mm -hmm. communication. But, um, and our current system does communicate with with uh, St. Joseph's, but it doesn't communicate with everybody else, and that's why we're shifting. Pedro, uh, tell us how uh, COVID has impacted the services uh, at the health center. Well, COVID has had a huge impact. We've, um, you know, we've shifted almost overnight to, to telehealth, and so our offerings in telehealth are, are much stronger than they once were, um, mostly because our, our patient population has tended to want to do in-person visits um, uh, because we do serve 50% of our patients are Spanish-speaking and um, it's just easier to do the and, and probably culturally more appropriate to do in-person care than telehealth. And of course, there's a very big digital divide. Um, but um, <clears throat> so we, we've shifted to, to offering more over telehealth and telephone, recognizing that not everyone has a, um, the ability to do video calls. We've, um, uh, and at this point, that represents about 25% of our visits um, that we're doing. And, and a lot more can be done through telehealth. Not everything has to be done in person. Um, so that, that's one thing. Um, our payer mix has shifted quite a bit. So and by what I mean by that is uh, we're, we're bringing quite a few privately insured are coming in, more than we anticipated. So at this point, um, we are about almost 20% privately insured. And um, that may be because the economy is getting better. Fewer people are, people, more people are working and have coverage to their employer. Uh, fewer, less people have um, public insurance. There's less people on Medi-Cal and Medi well, Medi-Cal. And, so, um, and so that's a good thing. That means the economy is getting better. Um, for, for federally qualified health centers like ours, it, um, it does present a challenge because uh, our best payer is Medi-Cal. And so, um, you know, most, most um, of the healthcare system, um, you know, private, for most of the healthcare system, private insurance is their best payer. For us, it's the opposite. It's uh, Medi-Cal. And so, uh, when there's a dip in Medi-Cal, that, that, um, that can't present an issue. Um, it's, we're doing quite, we're doing okay right now because we have federal subsidies for, for the, um, for the pandemic. But once those subsidies end, um, then we'll have to think through how to how to ensure the, that we are able to continue to expand services. I think the other challenge that, that we're currently facing is just, and I think everyone's facing it, is um, a workforce competition. There's just such strong competition for um, for entry level positions in particular. I think it's probably easier to recruit a doctor and and a and a, and a uh, dentist, and it is to recruit um, medical assistants and um, and dental assistants. Um, uh, of course, it takes longer to bring in a doctor just because they usually require out of residency, and it takes about a year to bring them in. But but um, but in terms of recruiting um, medical assistants, there there's just a lot of competition from all of the healthcare space for for these positions, and um, I think. Uh, fewer um, fewer people enrolled in those programs during the pandemic. There were there were fewer people enrolling, and so now the pipeline has is not as big as we, we normally experience. So we're we're facing um, challenges just bringing in and staffing the, the clinic um, at the level that we'd like 
I'm with Bill and hygienist. I want to talk about dental a little bit and about how important it is um, for people to get dental treatment because, you know, the bacteria in your mouth flows through your entire system. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it um, connects with the heart. Mm-hmm. And and so, what, what do you, who do you, who are your clients in your dental clinic? Sure, absolutely. So, at this point, our focus has, has been children. So our focus, the clinic's focus for, for our dental is um, children under the age of uh, five um, to ensure that they're uh, that they have a good start uh, in life. That they um, and we have a great program that's able to to uh, most of our kids zero to five end up with uh, no cavities, which is really thanks to the innovative work of Dr. Ramona English, who's our chief medical officer. We just uh, recently. Um, Actually, in the next couple of days, we'll be launching our, our UCSF, UCSF um, Pediatric Dentistry Program, where we're going to have 16 um, pediatric dentists um, in training coming through the health center. And um, these are they're fully licensed as dentists, but they're training as pediatric specialty dentists. So these are um, uh, specialized dentists who, who work and are training to, to deliver specialized care to, to children that will be coming through the Roner Park Health Center. Um, and, and so that will help us expand access to, to um, children. So we, we our foundation is children, zero to five, and then through the um, until 21. Um, and so we serve all of those kids, uh, regardless of whether they're our patients or not. So if, if you're a child, especially low-income child in Sonoma County, um, we are open to you. And then... Um, and then if you're a patient of the health center um, and over 21, we do, um, we do uh, accept uh, patients through referral um, through, through their physician. So um, it would be a referral through the doctor's office, through their primary care office. So, you know, as an example, if you have an adult patient that mm-hmm. comes in and they um, have an abscess in their mouth, and so that's noted during the, the treatment, where do they go? Where where do you send them? Can that person go into your clinic even though they're an adult? So if they're an adult patient of ours, and, and it's our doctor, it's our patient at Paloma Health Center, then yeah, certainly they can come in and, and get treated at the um, at the health clinic, and uh, they can also get the routine care here as well. Um, but they have to be a patient of the Paloma Health Center. Um, if uh, they are not a patient, then um, then we have places where we refer to. Um, when someone calls in and they're not a patient, primary care patient of ours, then um, then we have places we refer to. Um, some of the places are are uh, in Santa Rosa, and others are out in the East Bay and, and um, San Francisco. Um, but dental access to dental care is an issue in, in, in throughout uh, the North Bay, and so um, so we we try to make sure that our patients get as much of um, our capacity as possible because it is connected to, to, uh, to um, physical health. And, and we recognize that and we want to make sure that our patients have the full spectrum of services um, when they need it. And so, um, so absolutely, our patients definitely would have access to, to, the, um, to the dentistry, to the optometry, to all of these other um, things that maybe um, might not be available to the general population. If you're welcome. Well, no, that's really good to hear because this has been an issue my entire career 
it's been how do you find a dentist that will take somebody that, um, that's on Medi-Cal. And, and you can't. I mean, it's almost impossible. And so it's really good to hear that if you're a member of the clinic, you at least have facilities you can um, send patients to. But um, I want to go back. You said that there is a Roner Park clinic. So you have a dental clinic in Roner Park, and you also have one in Petaluma, and you have others. Yeah, we have uh, a dental clinic in Point Reyes. A dental, um, we are, in, in fact, we are the largest dental care provider in the North Bay. A lot of folks don't know that. We have 25 dental chairs across our system, and we now have a mobile van that added another two dental chairs um, that we just received this past week. And so, <clears throat> so we have uh, our largest dental clinic is in Marin Park. That, that dental clinic has 15 dental operatories. Then we have um, nine in um, in Petaluma and um, the, dent, the mobile dental van, as well as uh, dental chairs up in Point Reyes. And so, um, so we have a lot of dental chairs, um, a lot of dentists, and um, and um, and now a relationship with UCSF to expand access to the pediatric population uh, even more. So um, our 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 strategy for improving the health status of, of the community, the oral health status of the community, because um, we did have a, when I, when I first came to the Petaluma Health Center, we were referring about um, 300 kids to um, oral surgery every year. Right. So those are kids who had seven or more cavities um, under the age of five. Uh, we're going under, we're going, being referred out to um, the Pediatric Dental Initiative out in Windsor, which is a dental surgery center that specializes in, um, in, in um, dental care under general anesthesia. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, and general anesthesia on young kids just has such long implications. I mean, it's, uh, going under general anesthesia, even for an adult, has uh, impacts. But for children, the impacts are um, longer lasting and potentially may result in um, um, there's evidence that may cause, may cause learning delays and so and other issues, uh, and so um, we really wanted to prevent them. I mean, it's a tragedy that, that kids had like seven, eight dent cavities and all of these issues because dental care, dental issues are 100% preventable almost. And so, um, uh, with good hygiene education, dental screenings, um, fluoride varnish, we can prevent most of those things. And so now, with our program, we we um, I believe last year we referred six kids to PDI, and so um, uh, and so uh, we're really proud. I mean, we'd, we'd like we'd like to get to zero, of course, as we have more um, locations and we get patients that are coming into Sonoma County. Of course, we're going to have some folks that that uh, will get will need to be referred. But if there are patients of ours, we, we want to get to the point where where none of our patients are. Um, having to need uh, dental surgery under general anesthesia. Um, because it's an issue that's almost 100% preventable, it cost, cost the state of California about $10,000 to, to provide um, um, that care under general anesthesia for, for these dental, for these kids with dental surgeries or who need these dental surgeries. Um, and we can, um, and it's just traumatic, I, I think, for for children to go through that, so um, mm -hmm. so we're trying to reduce that, uh, and we have for for uh, our patient population. But uh, in terms of our strategy, our strategy is to 
uh, improve the health status of, of kids, get them to have good dental oral hygiene habits, and then over time, over the over the next 20 years, those kids will grow up to be adults and hopefully will continue these habits and have a good, strong foundation um, and, um, and, and hopefully fewer oral health issues. So do you still have to be um, screened before going into kindergarten? Uh, we, they, I don't know if they have to be screened, but we do screen all of our kids uh, for oral health. Um, and we do, um, I mean, we, we actually started before age one, so we do the, the uh, if, if the, and we deliver most of the kids here in Petaluma. So uh, by, by age one, the goal is that they've had a dental visit where we've looked at the mouth, we've, and, and it's mostly to get the child uh, used to having a dentist, um, you know, looking at the mouth and the teeth and uh, just making sure that everything's okay um, and coming into the clinic and get the, the and to be able to give the mom or caregiver um, education on, on oral, on good oral habits, even starting, even when they're babies, right? Well, it's it's actually most important at that time so because, baby. you know, a bottle feeding, you know, bottle decay. And mm-hmm. so by starting at one, you're educating the parents to for the prevention. And I'm pretty impressed that only six kids have to go to the PDI. Um, that's pretty impressive. And that's, I think, um, we have this, uh, we have a policy that if we have a child that, um, that comes into the health center, under age five, and that we encourage them to go into the dental clinic, and we make room in the dental clinic to see them. Uh, and so if, even if they're not scheduled for a visit, well, they're coming in for their well child visits, uh, for their medical visits, we, we try to get them in that same day into a dental visit just to, um, just to do the screening. And if they need additional treatment, we can follow up with them later or do it the same day if possible. But, um, but you can prevent, the health center is able to prevent things from getting worse, and that's the goal, right? If you can catch a cavity really early, then... Um, Isolated to that, uh, make sure that there's sealants and fluoride varnish, and that the kids are getting all the preventive care. Parents are, are educated on um, on how to maintain their kids' uh, mouth healthy and, and the consequences of, of not doing so. Right? Um, uh, no, I don't think any parent wants their child to go through um, dental surgery under general anesthesia, especially having seen some tragic incidents in the East Bay. Um, I mean, there were some very visible. Um, tragedies where um, children have passed away under general anesthesia. It doesn't happen quite often. It's actually quite rare, but it does happen. And, and, um, it was and pretty so. rare, and I know the cases that you're talking about, and it's been a long time since I've heard that happen. Oh, it's, and it's, 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 it's it is frightening. Yeah. And it is frightening for any parent. Yeah. Um, I'd like to go back to what Cindy was talking was asking about with COVID. Mm-hmm. And what was the health care's um, relationship like with our supervisors to get teachers specifically um, vaccinated so the students could get back into school. And I know that um, Supervisor Susan Gorn worked with the health district to get clinics in Sonoma. And did that happen in Petaluma? Um, to some extent. I think um, we have been working with uh, the county very closely. I mean, we were the the first clinic that had, we were the first, um, the Werner Park Health Center identified the first COVID case in Sonoma County uh, back um, in March of, of 2020. And so um, 
and, and we've had a very strong relationship. One of the reasons why we, we detected COVID wasn't because we probably were the first place that, that had COVID, most likely. It's just because we have a strong relationship with the county, and we um, we volunteered to do the, the um, testing, to go first with testing and to uh, begin testing our patients and, and our staff. And so um, with, you know, as you, we all know, the more you test, the more likely you're going to find somebody that's, that's uh, positive. Um, and so um, given that we were the first clinic with, um, with, with, uh, and that had identified a COVID situation, uh, we, uh, our relationship with the county strengthened um, quite a bit. So we ended up doing, um, you know, entering into many contracts and many agreements with the county to, um, at, in the early stages to, to run the first um, alternative care site. So we actually were running a 24-hour um, facility for uh, individuals with COVID because at that time we didn't know much about COVID. This was the first couple of uh, months of COVID. Mm-hmm. And so we were um, isolating and trying to, to ensure that those individuals got, um, that, um, got continuous care, that they were able to to uh, get the care outside of a hospital setting so that the hospital didn't get um, too impacted. And we were doing that at Sonoma State. So we actually, um, in partnership with the county, we, we um, took over some, some um, dormitories and, uh, and, uh, and took care of the, the patient population that had tested positive throughout the county, mostly farm workers and mostly um, industrial um, care workers across, uh, across the county that didn't have that weren't able to isolate. Um, but since then, we've, our partnership has grown to do um, uh, vaccinations. So we've um, run the, the vaccination sites here in, um, in uh, Petaluma and uh, with county support. And, and the county always encouraged us to, um, to uh, get um, teachers and, and, um, and all residents of Werner Park and Petaluma vaccinated. So, um, so, uh, that, for the most part, that's been the relationship that we've, I think there's just a lot more access here than there might be in other parts of, in, in South County than there might be in um, other parts of the, uh, of the county uh, where, that are a little bit more rural, uh, because we did, we were running the, the uh, Santa Rosa Junior College vaccination sites, we also were, had vaccination sites in our, in both of our clinics, we, we opened up um, significantly and, and so, and Kaiser has their presence, Sutter has a presence, St. Joseph's had a presence in our region. And so um, there was a lot of um, capacity to serve the community here for vaccination. There still is quite a, a bit significant capacity. Peter, um, since, since um, under 12 can be vaccinated now, and that's somewhat new, mm-hmm. what is the clinic doing working with, like, the Petaluma School District, the Old Adobe School District, WA, and all the school districts in the county, basically, to have actually clinics at the schools or a clinic for, example, the Old Adobe District, the Petaluma School District. I mean, this is what happened, you know, when we got the polio, which was a long time ago. You know, everybody converged, you know, into a hall. And is that being proposed to make sure that students under 12 are vaccinated? And then the other part of my question is there seems to be a, a resurgence of young students um, getting COVID. Mm-hmm. And so do you know what that percentage is and what is the clinic doing to make sure that 
students really have access and students with um, uh, barriers, language barriers, not necessarily the students, but the parents. So how do you reach out to parents with language barriers to make sure that they're vaccinated and educated on the positive aspects of being vaccinated? So what is, what, what's your role? I don't know the percentage, but, um, but we, we have seen an increase in, in positivity rate, especially in the younger um, children, which makes sense because those those populations said to be less um, vaccinated than other older populations. Um, what we're doing at this point is working through our our children, the children that come at the health center, um, and to get their care here, as well as their um, as their parents. So making sure that whole households are vaccinated, um, and so we um, we have a pretty um, sophisticated uh, data repository where we we've already identified who's eligible for a vaccine what type of vaccine, um, and then we do proactive communication with the family, try to bring in the whole household to, uh, in most cases, the adults have been vaccinated, but even if they're, in some cases where they're not, we bring in the children and the adults that, that haven't been, um, and, and at this point, we're vaccinating about 300 people a day, so uh, uh, during the work, during the work week, of course, and so uh, vaccinations, um, and that's just, in, in, and that's between Runner Park and Petaluma. That, that's pretty good. And and, and, um, and a lot of those, I was just at our vaccine site uh, this past um, on Tuesday. And uh, there were, I mean, the, the waiting area was full of kids. <laughs> so that's a good sign that most of those kids are, are get that, that many kids are getting, um, and their parents were with them, of course. But that the kids are getting um, vaccinated. I, I do think, um, I do, and we are working with the schools um, and the county. So it's a collaborative effort where the county will be uh, working with us and, and um, school districts to, to make sure that all kids have access to the vaccine at the school site. So there's um, some events planned for later uh, in for later in December and January to to make sure that there's vaccination sites where anybody uh, from the school and their their parents can go in and get vaccinated. I think that's important. Um, and of course, we, we are we have walk-ins available. Anyone from the community can come in to the Petaluma Health Center and get vaccinated or get their booster. Um, and we have walk-ins both in um, Petaluma and Runner Park, as well. We as have both the Moderna and the Pfizer and the J and J. We do. We have Moderna and Pfizer and J and J. Um, the best way to get into the clinic is to call and just make sure that. Um, we don't always do Moderna every day. Um, Petaluma does most most of what we do in Petaluma is Moderna, and most of what we do in Runner Park is Pfizer. And that's just um, the uh, <clears throat> it's it's up our staff with the workload. Of course, we can accommodate Pfizer in, in Petaluma, but we we schedule those, and we can accommodate Johnson and Johnson, uh, and those and those are easier to do. But um, but if somebody wanted Pfizer in Petaluma, we can we can do that. It's just easy to schedule. Peter, it seems like, I mean, the hesitancy rate, um, how do you address that? I mean, how are you educating people who are hesitant to be vaccinated? I think the best way, and I think what the literature has always stated with all vaccination, and, and I must say, Petaluma Health Center has one of the highest vaccination rates, not just for COVID vaccine, but all types of vaccines, because um, if there's one thing that's more evidence-based than anything, it's vaccines in primary care. And so um, I think... 
the literature is, is quite clear that how you educate and how you get convinced individuals to, um, to come in for vaccinations is by having um, the doctor and the patient go over, you know, having the, the, their, their medical provider, their doctor, talk with them about it. And uh, sometimes it takes more than one conversation, but to, to um, have the physician um, do the education and to encourage individuals. Not everyone needs that, but for the folks, but I've seen um, our um, COVID vaccine um, rates have increased dramatically as, as folks come in for primary care and they meet with their primary care provider. The primary care doctor encourages them to get the vaccine, goes over the risks, discusses, with, discusses it with the family, and, um, and encourages them to get the vaccine that same day. And so, um, so I think that's how we're um, moving through this. And it's just, uh, it takes the personal touch. It's, um, of having um, somebody that they trust um, from the medical sector uh, go over the risks and, and uh, tailor it to their personal um, situation, um, whether that's uh, questions about reproductive health or questions about, uh, and we've seen that a lot with younger um, um, adults. Is, uh, we have a lot of young adults that are concerned that the vaccine might have impacts on the reproductive health. And so doctors and nurse practitioners are well equipped to, to give, have those conversations and uh, to work with the, the uh, patients on um, getting them on a, on, a vac on a vaccine schedule that works for them. Peter, as far as, you know, back to students and mask mandates, um, what, what's the health clinics, um, what would the health clinic tell somebody? like a school district as far as masking indoors, outdoors, and for how long that should be part of the daily routine. So we're, we're very supportive of masking mandates and, and social distancing, especially, with, especially as we enter the, um, the uh, winter months and, uh, and, and windows are going to be um, – uh, there's going to be fewer windows that are open just because it gets colder and, and such, and and uh, and, uh, and we are seeing variants um, that are, are concerning coming through, and so and you add uh, uh, the risk of uh, what the media is, is referring to, is starting to refer to as the twindemic, which is the flu and the um, and the uh, COVID um, nineteen, um, and so. Uh, <clears throat> Given those things, we're very uh, supportive of masks mandates. Masks uh, do work uh, in, in um, slowing down the, the spread of, of um, COVID-19 and, and also the flu. And so, uh, of course, washing your hands and, and, uh, and regularly and um, social distancing and, and spending as much time as possible outside, uh, all of those things work. And, uh, and we're very supportive of it. Of course, we, we follow the county guidance on that, and we advocate with the county when it comes to these things as well. Um, but especially as we go into the winter months, uh, the more we can mask up when we, when we go to the grocery store, the pharmacies, um, department stores, et cetera, anywhere with um, a lot of individuals, the better. Um, well, you know, as an example, one of my grandsons came home, and he ended up having the flu. Mm -hmm. um, then my, his brother got the flu. And then my daughter got the flu. And, you know, you're not really sure if it's COVID or if it's really the flu. 
so I'm, I'm, I believe that they were tested, but it seems like, you know, at home, um, you know, kids are now back in school, and they're probably bringing this back in the home where we don't wear masks inside, and so, you know, that looked to me, there was a little cluster there of, you know, one getting it, the next one, the next one, and so is their education going to happen on what to do in the home? And I know you can't mandate that, but it would be great if people were more educated because you, you can't control people at home, and nor am I going to be wearing a mask inside my house. Um, and I would assume that would be true to, for most people, but now since I've seen this, I, and, and you're talking about the importance of mask wearing, but then we're already bringing the disease into the home. Yeah, I mean, I think what our, our focus has been on getting um, adults and children vaccinated for both the flu shot with the flu shot and the um, COVID-19 shot. We can even do both at the same day if the patient wants. It's um, been shown to be safe and effective. And uh, so, uh, and we are encouraging um, the flu shots, especially this time of year as we go into December and January. Um, and of course, uh, I think it's difficult to wear a mask at home. I don't. I certainly don't do it at home. But um, but if, if, especially if you have folks that are um, at home, if your household consists of individual that's vulnerable and and somebody starts developing flu-like symptoms, it probably would be a good idea to test uh, and to try to isolate um, to ensure that that, that doesn't spread. Whether I mean, it's flu you're or you're talking about um, new variants. Um, coming, there was something on the news last night about South Africa uh, is detecting new variants. And so, are you seeing new variances? I don't think we've seen, um, I mean, uh, new variants yet. Uh, I don't think we're detecting those. And, and, and uh, or at least we haven't uh, heard from our laboratories that any new variants have been detected. Um, at this point, although it's always possible, and, and that's what we're trying to, to prevent against, right, um, is um, encouraging individuals to, to mask and to wear, uh, to get their vaccine, get boosters um, when, when they're eligible for them, and um, not after six months of getting their, their, um, their last booster or their last uh, dose. But, um, I mean, that's really where, what our focus is, is um, is on just making sure that individuals are able to access the vaccine when um, when they need it, uh, making sure that uh, that when somebody does get sick with the flu or COVID, that they're able to isolate and to prevent the spread of um, of the disease for within the household. And we do have case managers that work. If we when we have a, a positive diagnosis, we have a case manager that works with the household on, on isolation, on, on treatment, and on um, on uh, trying to keep the rest of the family healthy. Peter, um, I want to move on and talk about state redistricting. Sure. Because um, you are on that board, and this is actually a really important topic. Um, so I'm a member of the Democratic Central Committee, and there are concerns about the way the redistricting was going between um, Huffman and Thompson and how those would um, connect. So tell us about the redistricting. And I listened recently to um, 
for public comment on this. You know, there was um, a long discussion on the, and a lot of public comment, and I know that Sonoma County, we are concerned about the districting, redistricting for Thompson and Huffman. So can you give us some enlightenment on that, but also just the whole process, the purpose of the process? And then you were saying, we were talking earlier, and you were saying that as far as district elections, if you have, well, that would be more local, but if you have a Latino or person of color on a school board, then they may not need to redistrict. So can you explain that? But I, I do want to talk about the state. So maybe we'll start with the state first. Yes. That's, uh, yeah. So in terms of the state, yeah, in terms of the state, um, every 10 years we, we uh, go through the process of, of uh, redistricting all of the state senate, congressional, state assembly, uh, districts across the state of California, as well as the Board of Equalization. And in California, that's done by an independent commission um, comprised of 14 individuals, uh, five Democrats, five Republicans, and four who are declined to state. Uh, these um, state, um, state law prevents us from taking into consideration incumbency. So, um, so we're... We don't look at who currently occupies the seat, or um, and uh, when making our deliberations, uh, and that's um, that's to make sure that that uh, that districts are, are um, that we're not gerrymandering because so the because this is an anti-gerrymandering body. Uh, our our goal is not to gerrymander for any of the political party parties, but rather to create um, districts that are that will result in communities being able to elect candidates of their choice. Um, it's really the concept that politicians shouldn't be picking their voters, but, the, but rather the voters should be picking their uh, elected officials. And so, um, <clears throat> and this is all done in public. Uh, when it comes to um, uh, Sonoma County and the North Bay, uh, they're, you know, they're, We've gone through various visualizations of what um, districts might look like. I think one of the biggest pressures on, on the North Bay has been population. Um, the rest of the Bay Area and most of the state has grown at a faster rate than the North Bay um, because of, for various factors. Um, uh, the wildfire certainly had an impact in population in Sonoma County. We lost you know, 5,000 homes here in 2017. With that, we also lost some population. And so, um, so our population hasn't grown as quickly as other parts of the of the, um, of the state. That means that, um, in addition to that, uh, California lost one congressional seat. So we, we uh, for with the proportionment, um, we lost one seat. So that and every district in California would need to grow in population, um, and uh, and it was hurt further. Um, Impact. The other thing that, that has caused um, some challenges is that uh, Sonoma County just didn't grow as quickly as other parts of the, um, the area, which means if you're growing and you have more population, you should also have more representation. And so um, that, that is the, the concept of um, uh, one person, one vote. And um, <clears throat> so for us, what it, at this point, what we have is uh, a district, and we had a lot of public inputs on this, um, a district that stretches from Marin County all the way up to 
the Oregon border to the north, um, and encompasses, uh, it's the coastal district, so it encompasses uh, most of the coastal counties, um, Santa, Sonoma County. In Sonoma County, we do carve out most of Santa Rosa and put that with the, um, with the wine country district that we are creating, um, which focuses more on agricultural issues, which uh, makes sense because there's quite, uh, the portions of Santa Rosa that we've selected are those where with um, higher rates of um, farm workers and essential workers. Um, so the city of Sonoma would be part of that district as well as maybe potentially parts of Werner Park. Um, and uh, of course, all of Napa County, Lake County, Yolo, um, and uh, some of the uh, northern districts would be part of that district. Would Solano County be part of that? A portion of Solano County would be part of it. Uh, the, um, uh, because of population issues, we can't put all of Sonoma County. We'd have too much population in there. Um, and so um, at this point, uh, the, the, the things that will impact, and we are looking at a couple of changes, uh, and this has been discussed through public input. Uh, one thing that we're considering is potentially moving Vallejo uh, into the Contra Costa area. If we do that, that's 100,000 people that have to be shifted into Contra Costa currently in Napa, in the Napa district, the wine country district. That would have, um, that would mean we'd have to find 100,000 people to um, put into the wine country district. And finding 100,000 people <laughs> means either going into Sacramento or, or um, potentially crossing the bridge, going over the Golden Gate Bridge. And, uh, and it would actually would cascade a lot of issues, a lot of, um, would cause quite a few issues across all of the Northern California counties, congressional districts. Um, the other so, thing so that we're Huffman, looking Huffman would be extended in the San Francisco. I mean, I'm just saying where his district that, that's is, a is an example. Is and, the possibility if we were to make some of these other changes? Um, okay. uh, I mean, at, at this point, it, I don't know how likely it is, given that, um, that um, uh, I mean, other possibilities would be that we would get a population from Sacramento or other areas to, to fill in. Um, so we're, we're exploring our all options. Um, but the other major impact might be uh, the, um, we do have the, the group tribe, which is probably the um, group that has received the most per capita input from the state of California. Um, and asking to be the Karuk, they're um, the Karuk tribe up in Siskiyou and Humboldt County, uh, and they're asking to be, uh, that some of their tribal land, or that all of their tribal land from Siskiyou be added to the North Coast uh, District. Um, uh, Del Norte is, uh, we we're getting um, conflicting testimonies. Half of, it's, it, to me it feels like half of Del Norte is asking to be with the Coastal District, the other half wants to be with with um, the Reading and Eastern part of the state. And so we'll be working through that at the next commission, during the next couple of commission meetings next week, uh, whether Del Norte should be part of, uh, uh, whether, and it, it's most likely going to be a compromise, whether we um, include Del Norte with, and, and honestly, it probably has to do more with population than anything else, uh, whether Del Norte will be with, um, with this coastal district or whether it'll be with the inland district. Uh, and uh, that, of course, would have an impact because if we 
add population to um, take out population from the, the eastern congressional district, then we'll have to add population, actually subtract population from from um, from the North Coast District. So, so every every minor change, the, the thing that we're dealing with right now is every tiny change we make has ripple effects across all of California because the lines are pretty much they're all interconnected. And so, if you make one change here, it cascades, and you have to make change to almost all of the surrounding districts as well. And sometimes it's harder to make because of, um, especially in the North Coast, because um, there's not a lot of places to draw population from. We don't have made other than Santa Rosa, we don't have major uh, population centers. And um, and so the, the two major population centers are San Francisco, Sacramento, and some of the, the Bay Area. Peter, who represents Reading now? On the commission? Yeah, Pedro. I'm sorry. I, you know what? Every no, time okay. I, I call you Peter all the time in my head, and I know it's Pedro. Oh, <laughs> no, that's okay. Uh, so we, on the commission, we don't have anyone from Reading, um, and, uh, but, um, but certainly... Um, but they're represented by somebody. Oh, they're a member of Congress, you mean? Yes. I'm actually, uh, I believe it's Doug Lamalfa, something like that. I, I, I'm not 100% okay. sure who this is. So it is not Mike Thompson. <laughs> no, it's not Mike Thompson. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, uh, yeah. Mike Thompson represents the um, wine country district. Right, but, exactly. Uh, wine country area, Napa. It, it, right. So the district would change, the current district would change. And of course, we don't take incumbency into consideration. And right. so, um, so when we look at the, this, this is one of the reasons I don't know exactly who the member of Congress is. And, and it's because the, the, we're not looking at that. We're looking at um, what makes sense from a community of interest standpoint, from a, um, from a, from a, well, from a community of interest standpoint. And um, the community of interest testimony has come out very clear in the West, in the North Coast, that. Uh, most individuals who called in about the community interest uh, are interested in environmental issues, they're interested in transportation and housing, affordable issues, but and that those um, that those relate across the state of California. Redistricting so, is really about balancing. It absolutely is about balancing, and it's um, and I was uh, quoted in the LA Times, and it's because uh, I am. Uh, the incoming chair on Monday, I take over the chairmanship. And yeah, so it's really about um, balancing and making sure that, that we follow the processes. You know, there's a, there's a very clear process in the, in the state law on how we, how we move through this and to ensure that everyone gets equal representation and um, that California is fairly um, represented in Congress and the State Assembly and in um, and, uh, and states uh, Senate as well as the Board of Equalization. Well, we are out of time, Janice. I know you want to ask another question. <laughs> I'm going to have to cut you off and thank uh, Pedro Toledo for being with us today. And for our listeners, uh, Pedro is Chief Administrative Officer of Petaluma Health Center. President of the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce of Sonoma County and also a member of California's 2020 Citizens Redistricting Commission. Um, thank you, Pedro, for being here. I was kind of hoping we'd get to talk about your role with the uh, chamber, uh, but we're gonna, I guess we're going to have to have you back. 
Happy to. So, Jordan, thank you so much, and, and have a great uh, weekend. Yes, you do the same. Thank you again. Thank you. Uh, have a great you, holiday. Yeah. You as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd love to have you back. Yeah. You've been listening to Inside Paluma here on KPCA 103.3 FM and streaming live at kpca.fm. Uh, if you want to hear any of our past shows, you can visit our website at insidepetaluma.com, and there's the archives page where you can access the MP3 file, or you can listen through a podcast. So all of, all of that is on the website. Um, also, our Facebook page, inside, it's KPCA Inside Petaluma. Go there and give us a like. Uh, you can always check in every Friday morning and see who our guest is going to be. Next week, it is Petaluma Police Department's Chief, Ken Savano. So, we have that next week, Janice. Oh, good. I'm looking forward to um, yeah. talking with Ken. Yep. Get all the dirt. Exactly. I've got a lot to ask. Get all the dirt on the on the TV. Police department. A police department. Oh, that's right. Both. They kind of intertwine. Okay. So come back and join us next Friday from 11 to noon. We will be here for you. And in the meantime, everybody take care. Uh, thanks again, Janice, for working with me. And I'll we'll see you later. Oh, that sounds good. And thank you so much. Okay. Bye. Bye.